Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again. Joining me on the show today, I've got another special guest all the way across the pond in England, Darren Quinn. Darren has had a career in technical training for Jaguar, Land Rover, and also Audi. And he's currently running a training website, Mechanic Mindset. He's going to tell us all about that, but make sure to check the show notes for the link. Uh, He also has a YouTube channel, which goes along with his training website, but this is going to be focused around vehicle diagnostics and oscilloscope training, Uh, lots of stuff on the Pico. We talk about Pico 7, we talk about training in the automotive industry, Uh, really great chat. I love getting to talk to people in other parts of the world that are doing the same or similar things as us here in the States really interesting to see different perspectives on this. But I enjoyed this talk. Hopefully you as well. But with that out of the way, let's jump right in. Well, the only reason I ask, I've got, I've got two dogs. and <laughs> I got, I got one too. Night, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So one yep. might pipe up in a minute. It's going a bit deaf. So um, my wife will come <laughs> through the door. He won't hear. But then the other one might start downstairs. So, so sure. yeah, <laughs> it should be all right. What kind of dogs you got? <clears throat> So I got a uh, Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. My parents had, used to have two of those, actually. Right, yeah. So he's he's under the desk right now. He just sleeps there in the day. He's nine. And then we've got a uh, flat coat retriever who's okay. uh, nine months. So he's oh. like uh, <laughs> All yeah, energy. bouncing. Yeah, massive ball of energy at the minute. So he's currently downstairs chewing on some sort of animal bone. <laughs> 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 yeah hopefully that and not furniture or something like that yeah yeah he's pretty good like that to be honest but you know you know how these young dogs are they're just a bit oh yeah unpredictable sometimes <laughs> you got you got to have an outlet for that energy i have a black lab and she's nine now so she's finally starting to not be a puppy but you if you don't have an outlet for the energy they just become destructive and yeah. rambunctious and <laughs> so you got to yeah, have ripping, something for them yeah. to do yeah, I don't. He's, he, I don't know how many blankets he's eaten now. <laughs> he's just, so chewing them, swallows it, and then, yep. you know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We got these toys um, that have the little plastic squeakers inside of them, and her favorite thing to do is to get one of these toys. And her her immediate goal is is to tear it apart and get the squeaker out. <laughs> so I'm equating that to if it was like. An, a, you know, a squirrel or something, she'd be just ripping the heart yeah. <laughs> right out of it. And then, then she's happy. She's like, she's like, I'm done with this toy now. Now that I've killed it. <laughs> yeah. Sounds about right for retrievers. Yeah. I get yep. the same. <laughs> <clears throat> well, uh, thanks for joining me this morning. Well, it's, it's this afternoon where you're at and this morning where I'm at, uh, Darren, how's everything going for you? Yeah, good. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Quite exciting time for me, really, uh, career-wise. So, uh, currently with uh, Jaguar Land Rover, um, and we look after all their global technical training, development, okay. and delivery and stuff. So, uh, and I'm actually working my notice there. So, uh, in the middle of February, I am going freelance. So, working for myself, uh, okay, and doing a few different things. Got a few exciting opportunities coming up. So. But yeah, eight eight years at Jaguar Land Rover now, and that's uh, it's been been pretty good. Okay, um, and did you do the same thing the whole time you were there? Were you a technician for those vehicles? No, at any no. Point? So I suppose um, my background. Uh, so when I was sixteen, I uh, got an apprenticeship, and in the UK, and I'm not sure if it's the same over uh, your side, but in the UK, when you're sixteen, you can leave school. It's, okay. it's kind of changed a bit now. And I went into a full-time job at a BMW uh, dealer 
uh, in an apprenticeship and we do like two week blocks throughout the year for, for your like college, your schooling. Okay. Um, so that's what I did um, for, I suppose, my serve time, if you like. And I was on on the uh, workshop floor there for nine years, going through their kind of the usual dealer kind of curriculum of learning and stuff. Um, you know, your levels like your service tech, your diagnostic tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2010, I started working at Audi, Audi UK, as a technical trainer. Okay. So that was quite a jump actually from being a technician who thinks you've got your finger on the pulse and you know you know pretty much you know most things you need to know right so then standing in front of a group of you know nine to twelve guys who have probably been working for that brand for you know years and Mm -hmm. i've rarely ever touched an audi (laughs) (laughs) so yeah training you know um so that was a a big kind of learning curve there yeah no kidding Um, but yeah, it was quite good. Got into it quite quickly, but I, I was thinking, you know, what am I doing? I, I don't like standing up and talking in front of people, you know. I don't even like it when they do that thing on a course and they go around the room and ask your name. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't like that. <laughs> I've been training for like 13 years. So um, yeah, that was good. And I was there for four years and um, kind of worked up there quite quickly from, yeah, they usually start you in at the bottom doing like, basic electrics and the service and maintenance courses and stuff and then they'll bring you on to the other stuff like the systems training like diesel petrol infotainment and um i left there looking after the master technician program so that was that was really good um what they used to do there was they'd they'd bring the guys in for like two weeks and you'd you'd have these guys i think we only had a maximum i think it was four four or five so you just work with these you know say it was four four technicians for two weeks and we'd basically just go through diagnostic process so we'd put a fault on the car Mm -hmm. send them down okay this is what the customer concern is go at it and you know we'd pretend to be like the customer and they could ask questions and stuff and sure and then that would allow us then to go into other areas so say if we put a you know, an intermittent misfire fault on, it might then bring up questions about, you know, GDI fuel systems. So then we go, right, okay, we can spend some time talking about that now. So it was really good because you got two weeks of just a a really flexible kind of uh, schedule of of what you were going to talk about. Okay. So, um, yeah, that that was pretty good. So you was writing some courses for them as well and and a few things like that. So um, So while you were doing that, you were working with technicians that were actually fixing vehicles or who who was the person or the people doing the diagnosing on the car yeah the the dealer technicians okay so um a lot of these dealers now all these brands they have um targets they've got to meet for the um i suppose the qualification levels of their technicians mm-hmm. yeah so say they've got a main dealer I can't remember what it was exactly, but say they've got 15 technicians. Okay, if if a dealer's got 15 technicians, they've got to have so many service technicians, so many diagnostic technicians, mm. and so many master technicians. So it might be like you need to have one master tech per um, 10 technicians. So they, they were the guys that were coming in, really. Uh, yeah, just technicians. And it was good because you'd have probably seen them, you know, having been there a few years, you'd have seen them on other courses, Mm. As they're kind of coming through, okay, and you may have assessed them on the on the kind of uh, the next level down, the diagnostic technician level, and then you know really helping them come up through into that kind of master tech role and yeah, you know, uh, working with them. But yeah, it was, it's good because um, yeah, I think in that role you you lose touch of what's actually happening and what actual sure. faults people are, are kind of getting. Yep, in the workshops, whereas the you know the training side of thing is you know this is this is how it works and this is what should happen if uh-huh. you know if everything if you get is a blockage perfect here or if you take this off here and uh-huh. but faults don't happen like that do they yeah yeah it doesn't work <laughs> that way in the real world uh, mm. definitely you can be you can be so smart on the technical side of things just you could be the smartest person out there 
And the real world and real cars in service are going to throw you a curveball. That service info or, you know, the you know everything about how it works, but yeah. something's going to happen and it's not going to make sense. And you got to you still got to figure your your way around that. And so like you were saying with a process, having a diagnostic process is going to help you get there. Um, what did you see doing that was the most common hang up? for technicians as far as the process goes? Um, so I I was introduced to a, a full diagnostic process course while I was at Audi and, and delivered it quite a lot. And it was like a six-step process. You see all these different types of processes everywhere, but they all kind of come to the same thing. And I, for me, I think, especially when it comes to those intermittent faults and those, you know, hard to replicate mm-hmm. and the comebacks, you know, the ones that have already been fixed before and it's come back again. It's all in that front end. So, you know, making sure you're asking the right questions, gathering the right evidence. So, you know, history, you know, whether it's accident damage or, you know, what whatever's been done on it before. Um, other things like function tests, a really good function test mm-hmm. can actually help you, um, you know, really narrow down where a fault is. Um, you know, that, that also comes with a, with a big understanding of, of how the system works um so you know good advice is really to just test everything okay note it down and you know um because we all do those faults don't we and then at the end of it you're like ah that, that's why that wasn't working yeah yeah you know because you've been through and tested the whole system and got to the end and realized that those two things shared an earth mm-hmm. and you're like right okay if i'd have tested that first and looked at that in the beginning mm-hmm. i could have like saved myself you know, an hour stripping out the whole car or yep, something. Yep. Well, asking questions too, man, is that important? Um, I've, well, oh, actually, you know, this morning before we did this, I went to a shop that was close to my place to program a PCM on a Ford Escape. And I do lots of Fords and I'm pretty familiar with the process. And so when I got to the shop, I watched the technician pull the vehicle in with the old PCM plugged in and he pulls it in the bay and I get to work and I do the programming event and I do the anti-theft for the keys. And once I'm done, it won't crank. You turn the key and nothing happens. And I immediately assume I missed something or maybe the new PCM has a fault. So I'm, I'm dinking around, I'm messing around. I'm like, everything, you know, seems correct. Uh, I'm again, I'm wondering if it's this PCM and I probably wasted about 15 minutes of my time trying to figure out why this thing wouldn't crank. And I'm assuming because I saw them drive in the vehicle that it cranked before. I just assumed oh, yeah. that. And yeah. I, ne- I never asked the technician. And finally, before I really got into it and started pulling out my my test equipment, I asked the tech, I'm like, did you guys have any issues with this cranking? And he's like, oh yeah, the ignition housing is worn out. We're pretty common on those escapes. And you really got to push that key in while you're turning it to get it to crank. That's what he did. He knew about that when he pulled it in. And had I asked right away, I would have saved myself 15 minutes of time, not dinking around with this car. But that's, that's uh, exactly it. You gotta, you gotta question. And sometimes as a technician, that's tough because you're relying on the person up front, the service writer or who's interacting with the customer, you get that information and you're getting it secondhand. And yeah, boy, that, that can really hang you up sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and a, a lot of these, uh, I suppose for, for the main dealer world in which I've been involved in for a while, that's been a call center. So it's someone with a, you know, not even stepped foot in the dealership before. Sure. You know, maybe you have no experience in actually cars or anything like this. And, you know, they may have been doing call center for a insurance company that, you know, before they got this job. So, yeah, they they <clears throat> might not always ask the, the right questions or, or any at all. You know, they just right. come in and you know, <laughs> the customer comes in on the morning, just drops the keys off. There you go. Yeah. You know, the technician's <laughs> there. They've got the fault on the thing. You know, we've all been there, haven't we? Uh-huh. You know, yeah. And th- those those jobs, they get turned back out the door, you know, need more information or need road tests with customer or, mm-hmm. you know. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, questions is, is a big one for diagnostics, definitely. Yep. Yeah. And so, um yeah, I think it really helps as well towards creating a or preventing uh, comebacks. Really, is mm-hmm. is nailing that cause 
I think a lot of the time we can always be guilty of, you know, fixing the fault and actually not questioning again why it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and what I find is you have to go back to that information from the front end, you know, like that history, the customer questioning, your, your function tests and, sure. and just, just the, the, the usual checks that you'd do, you know, you know, if it's, if it's had a windscreen fitted or, you know, mm. if it's had some body work or, you know, if a technician's already been in there, we will usually know the things to look out for, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of piecing all that together and detective work, really. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm. Finding out, oh, how many times has this PCM been replaced on this thing, you know, for the same yeah. issue? Okay. Maybe, maybe <laughs> something's taking it out, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta dig for that stuff. Yeah. So there was a really good example of uh, that. I, I did a video actually on it and it was just on, um, I think it was a story. We didn't go into the story too much on the video. It was just about the background of, of this kind of thing that happens. Um, so it was a colleague of mine uh, when I'd got into the training, they said that uh, when he was in the dealer, he had this car and it came in. Um, apparently they'd been on holiday and they'd broken down and then roadside recovery had come out and, and kind of got them going again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it come in and was not running. Um, long story short, they diagnosed it down to uh, a PCM and they put the PCM, so the engine control unit on it. And there we go. It's fired up and it's, it's all going again. So I think it was like, you know, a short time after that, it came back again, the same problem. Um, now, I don't know whether they actually put another PCM on it, and it wouldn't surprise me if they did. Um, let's just say they did. Mm-hmm. However, what what happened was is in that first instance when the roadside guy got them going again, the original fault was a fuel pump relay. Okay. Yeah. So the roadside guy's just gone into the back of his van and just, you know, grabbed out any old relay, you know, oh. that'll do. <laughs> sure. Put them in, yeah. And it's it's a different relay and it hasn't got any surge protection on it. Mm. So this relay then has been, you know, turning off, creating this big spike going okay. back up to the engine control module and knocking it out. So Interesting. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I'm pretty sure it had two control units before someone said, hang on a minute. <laughs> That's not normal. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, finding that root failure uh, or the root cause of the problem. And sometimes that's tricky. I mean, that would be a challenging one to find, especially right off the bat. I mean, the yeah. first time you put that PCM in, okay, well it's, it's done. Let's put one in. Um, that is going to be tricky to find, but yeah, uh, that's, that's what we're up against. Stuff like going that. Back to that information again, isn't it? You know, that, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. And you're not always going to get that out of the customer. No, you know? Are the customers always going to be honest that, you know, their dad, their mate and the garage around the corner has already had a look at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not always. <laughs> yeah, and and I've found too, especially with a the customer, they don't know what information is relevant. So you really have to press in certain mm. situations to get, because they, they may know the piece of information that you're looking for that will help you, but they yeah. don't think it's relevant to what you're dealing with. And understandably so, like they, they don't know, most customers don't know, you know, how all this stuff works. Um, I've... Um, when I was a tech, we had some interview sheets mm. that we would uh, provide the service writers to help out when like I couldn't directly talk with the customer or you know, I was busy so they could give them a sheet. And it, there's variations of this out there. I know you can find them online, uh, but it was just yeah. an in-depth questionnaire you know, about the problem and really asking questions like, how long has this been going on? How often does it happen? What are the driving yeah. conditions? Cold, hot, uh, ambient temperature, up a hill, you know, all this stuff. And uh, those would be very helpful because then you had it firsthand from the customer in writing. Um, yeah. And it would get you around some of that uh, for that's sure. It. Yeah. You know, when when it's happening, that's a, that's a really important one. You know, it could be time of day. It could be location that, you know, the customer's not actually thought about linking, you know. Mm-hmm could be a you know a, a short circuit problem on a fog light and you know the fog lights don't come on and on very often so you know there's your intermittent failure mm-hmm. you know how often is it foggy and how likely is it that the technician's going to replicate that on a nice sunny day you know not, yeah not yeah. going to think about turning all these things on and putting the car 
in the condition that the customer is experiencing the fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it can get can get tricky. Yeah, uh, going for a drive with customer is sometimes the answer on that intermittent stuff. Um, I, I had a <clears throat> it was just a noise diagnostic, just mm. something you know, which actually those can be really challenging sometimes. I noise diagnostic yeah. can actually be really <laughs> tricky for certain noises, but it was supposed to be a front end clunk or something in the front end was loose of this Ford and we couldn't, we couldn't duplicate it. Like we couldn't hear it. We couldn't make it happen. We're driving it all over. And finally we got yeah. the customer there and he, he drives the vehicle and I'm sitting in the passenger seat and he rolled the window down on the driver's side and once you rolled the window down, the weather stripping that was there was, and you had to get above a certain speed, but the wind was causing the weather stripping to slap oh. against the top of the door. That was his noise that he interpreted as a front end noise, right? And and we never drove it with the window down, so we never found yeah. it. And sometimes that is the key is to have them there with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had a guy too, we were trying to find, I think that was a noise too, and we were driving this thing couldn't get it to do it. And I went for a drive with this guy and I was scared for my life. He was driving this car. So, so aggressively, like, like he was going to go try out for NASCAR or something going around these corners. And the car did make the noise when you drove it like that. But you know, I'm not out there beating a customer vehicle up like that. Um, but he was, I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, I guess that's what we're after then. (laughs) We we don't get a choice. To put, but to put ourselves in these situations sometimes <laughs> either do we, you know, or if you've just, you know, awakened a memory in me as well. Like I, I worked in Dubai for a little bit. Okay. So between, well, during my time in, in the workshop, I went, took a, say, you could say I took a year out. I think I was still kind of youngish. I was like 23 and um, I made seen an ad in the paper for um, technicians in Dubai. So, you know, I, I took it up. It was a BMW independent. Anyway, so you go out with a road test uh, for a road test with the guys out there. Most of them have got, you know, their cars are pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking BMW as well. So they're, you know, they've got some money over there and, you know, they're serious, serious machines. Yeah. The roads aren't, the roads are good. They're smooth. But the people that are on them are varying degrees of you know <laughs> driving capabilities sure and then you go out and road test with some of these guys they've got no seatbelt on so they've got you know <clears throat> they've bought a seatbelt and cut off the little you know the, <laughs> the thing that goes in and then sure. like, put that in to stop the stop the warning going off yeah? okay <laughs> and i had this one guy and re- like not long before that he'd his friend had, had died in with a car he was driving i think it was like like a nissan patrol you know they didn't silly things are like skyline engines in or something okay and he's crashed his car and rolled it and his friend has like been ejected from the passenger side window during the roll and you know he died and you know it's pretty serious stuff and he was a young lad and then he's come for a road test or something with his he had a 645 i remember so a v8 6 series and i go out with him same again no no seatbelt on he's just got the thing in the you know the the buckle to stop mm. it from going off, and yeah. he's driving like an idiot. Huh. <laughs> and he's like, "What are you doing?" You know, like, yeah. Chill out. But so many times out there, you know, they were really scary drivers, almost like they had something to prove to me. Oh, like, uh, okay. You know. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that is the thing about being a young male is uh, it's very <laughs> typical to drive like an idiot, and I know I did the same thing. I, I drive so much more passively and slower than I used to when I was a young kid. But I I think actually being a technician and driving customer vehicles kind of helped me out with that because, you know, I I don't want to risk getting into an accident or something like that with a customer vehicle, obviously. And so you drive them very carefully and very passively. And I think that actually kind of transferred over to my own driving eventually after I did it for years and years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I'm the same, really. Um, so the driving things are a little different over here. So I think you guys can get driving quite young, and it's quite you know. Do you do it as part of school or something? You know, is it? It's yeah. You, well, you can take a you can take a course as driver's ed, um, or okay. you can 
just, uh, there's a written test to get your permit and then you go and take your driving test. So you don't right. necessarily have to take the course, but it's recommended. Um, okay. It's 16 over here. Is it the same age in the UK? 17. Okay. 17 here. Gotcha. So, however, it's, it's down to you and they don't do it as part of the school or anything. So, you know, you, you can only do it if you can afford it, mm. you drive in school. So, um, I was 19 when I passed. Um, okay. And I probably only ended up taking my lessons because one of the technicians I worked with made a career move into driving school. Mm. And as part of that, he had to practice and he you know i got free driving lessons out of it (laughs) (laughs) nice but like you say you know when i passed then at the age of 19 i was allowed to drive any of the cars that came into the workshop i was expected to drive them sure and yeah you know i i wasn't driving fully myself by then and now i'm like out on the road in these cars that are like you know tens of thousands of pounds and you've Mm -hmm. got to be careful and treat them good yeah um and you never know Who's watching? Oh um, yeah, hundred percent. A friend of mine got caught in a customer's car on the motorway. He was in my apprenticeship group. He was in an M3, and he got caught speeding because mm. the customer had a tracker on the car. Oh, okay. I like, Why are you driving up the M4 at 120 mile an hour you know, <laughs> in my car? Jeez. <laughs> you know, he's just like so. Yeah, we've got you. Got to be careful. But yeah, no kidding. Not worth it. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned, uh, you had a video that you recorded recently. You've got a YouTube channel and I believe a website. Uh, do you want to tell me and the listeners all about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's mechanic mindset on YouTube. Uh, I started that actually, uh, did that first video just when the coronavirus kind of pandemic hit really. Um, so I'd, it's something that I wanted to do for a while in my job at J, JLR, Jaguar Land Rover. It was going more of a kind of a management way away from kind of working with the technology and the training and, and technicians. So, and you know, I wanted to keep that alive in me because you know, really enjoy it. So yeah, I started uh, mechanic mindset, um, uh, focusing a lot on just trying to make diagnostics easy, really. Um, it's e- it's too easy for us as as trainers and you know people who have been in the game for a long time to really go straight into kind of the deep end and what i found at audi um training master technicians is that the fundamentals is the most important thing mm-hmm. um so um that's what i started doing there um it's it's doing pretty good you know getting a lot of good feedback it it takes a lot of time to make these videos uh, but you know i really do enjoy doing them I've got a big list of videos that I want to do. It's mm-hmm. just, just kind of getting around to it. Sure. Um, and now, yeah, we've got the website as well. So I've started um, writing my own training. So we've currently got a PicoScope and Oscilloscope course uh, available. So that's uh, it's like an online course. So it's available to anyone. And it's designed to be more of a, you know, you could, you could either go through it from, you know, beginning to end, or it's a, you know, I'm, I'm on the job. I've got this scope in front of me. I remember they said something about, you know, using it to diagnose canvas. Let's have a look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you'll go there. There's like a short video just to kind of remind you um, where to go. So that's really exciting and got some amazing feedback on that as well. Cool. Yeah. I saw there was a bunch of uh, stuff, oscilloscope videos that you had, um, whether it be Pico or something else. And uh, did you do or did you work a lot with scopes as far as you were saying Audi and then the JLR, do they have that stuff available for technicians? Is there training for dealer technicians on that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, at BMW, they had it as part of the dealer tool. It was kind of a basic scope. It had all your usual settings, like your, your trigger and stuff, and you could do longer time bases and things. There might've been some other things on there, but the interface on the, on the actual thing was quite basic. However, the equipment that it came with was actually very capable. It was very high spec equipment. So, you know, you had one amp clamp and as far as I remember, it did everything, you know, oh, okay. from battery drains to, you know, high current kind of drawers. Nice. Um, so if I remember it right, it was a long time ago. Um, Volkswagen was similar. So actually the, the oscilloscope display actually looked pretty much the same. Um, and yeah, the training there is, is there for them. However, 
I think the big thing with the dealer training is it's having those examples to draw on to really get the most of that, you know, oscilloscope diagnostics. So like I remember, you know, doing the the petrol uh, classes and, you know, we've got an injector waveform on the display. It's like, well, that's great, you know. So what? You know, Mm -hmm. what am I going to do with that information now? You know, how can I use this tool to to help me? So in a lot of cases, it was being used as a way to explain the theory of how something worked. Okay. Rather than how to use it to diagnose things. Yeah. Gotcha. So uh, when I started at JLR, they use uh, PicoScope. So I'm not sure if it's mandated in both brands. It certainly is on one of them. However, that that's the tool of choice for um, uh, if if they were going to go and do some oscilloscope testing. So, yeah, I, I kind of uh, had to use that. Of course, um, we didn't really get into my JLR background, but when I started there, I was uh, delivering train the trainer. So okay. that's where the the kind of dealers they go out and sorry the the, the factory. They go out and train all the academies, basically. So we had people come to us, and sometimes we went to them, like in China or USA oh. and things like that. All right. Um, so yeah, I had to get to grips with using that uh, Pico scope and its software. So um, I think because of where I'd come from and and the scope I was used to, I was just quite happy with using you know the, the time voltage trigger settings and things like that, and and never really got digging into what that thing could really do Mm -hmm. and when i did you know it's you really find out how much of a powerful kind of tool and software it is so um and then and then you know you start looking around on youtube and and all these kind of different things that you can actually do with it and just joining up those bits of knowledge that i'd gained in in you know technical training fundamentals and then okay well what what can we see on the scope with this you know yeah so yeah, really kind of ran away with it a bit. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, there's so, a yeah, lot of cool. possibilities uh, with that Pico. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. What uh, What do you think of Pico 7? They're they're starting to straighten that out, I think. Yeah, I mean, the first time I opened it, I was like, ooh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a change, here. isn't it? You know, it's <laughs> like using something brand new. Yep. You know? <laughs> so, you know... It, it took a while and I didn't I didn't really go back to it much. So so much so that in November 2019 I started writing the uh, PicoScope for automotive course I've got. I did the whole thing in PicoScope 6. Oh okay. <laughs> and then the announcements start coming out, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, late end of last year. It's like, okay, we're turning off PicoScope 6 next year. It's not even going to be available for download. And we're like, oh. <laughs> Yep. But the good thing is that everything that you've learned in PicoScope 6 can be transferred over to PicoScope 7. It's just knowing where it all is now. Yeah. Um, I actually had a call with one of the technical support guys from PicoScope uh week before last. Uh, Randy, his name is. So if you send a support ticket in, it's going to be Randy or, or one of the other few guys in the UK that will answer it. That's PicoScope Automotive. And we had a really good chat about PicoScope 7, you know, where it's come from, um, why they've had to do it. And, um, I suppose to just let us know that they're listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're hearing, hearing the, the gripes people are having. Of course, it's not finished yet. So, um, I'm not going to be going all in with it for my training until they're finished with it because there are still some more features to come mm-hmm. and I don't want to, you know, write some more stuff where it's it's going to be obsolete again soon. Right. However, you know, the Pico 6 is on, you know, it, it was developed around Windows XP. Like oh, okay. 13 years ago. You know, it was on an old framework. Uh, it's not secure. So, you know, you've got we've got our details in there, you know, for the waveform yeah. library. And apparently there's people pecking away at their servers every day trying to get in at that information. No so kidding. Huh. That's why they're kind of making a you know a fast move to get the waveform library off Pico six. Interesting. It's, it's a full time job to keep that data secure at the minute. Okay. So there's there's a lot of like reasons that are like, yeah, this this change has to happen. Um but then there's the other ones where they've got an opportunity to do something different. Mm-hmm. You know? When when I I don't know if you remember when you first opened up PicoScope six. Can you remember what it was like? Or? Yeah, um, 
I just remember there was a lot of a lot of things that you could click on, and it took some time to sort through everything and realize what each one of them meant. You know, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, what's what's this tab? What are these numbers here? That's it. It took some time for sure. Yeah, I, I hated it at first. Yeah, because I I was used to um, the dealer tools that I mentioned that were similar layout to what you've mm-hmm. got on PicoScope Seven. Well, you've got a touch screen and you're just like, right, yeah, there's the time, there's the voltage and, and there's, a, you know, mm-hmm. triggers and whatever. They, they, they were basic, but it, it was all kind of there on the screen, whereas this was like, you know, wh- wh- where do I start it? How do I stop it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like tiny little icon. Yeah, down right the down in the, in the yeah. bottom. <laughs> so, you know, they were saying that, you know, PicoScope 6 is a test and measurement tool first for like electrical engineers. You know, the automotive mm. thing was a, a side gig. You know, gotcha. but now it's kind of, you know, it's got a lot bigger. So they had an opportunity to to kind of do something different, you know, get rid of all those hidden functions where you had to go into the top menu or right click mm-hmm. or, you know, bring some more clarity to those other options that we've got on the screen, like sample rate and um, the measurements, you know, what, what half of them measurements mean, you know. Right. Does everyone know what ed- edge count means? You know, if, if, you, if you're new to it, it's going to be like, well, I don't know. Yeah, so, <laughs> right. You know, we've got visual things for that now, so nice. um, that's pretty good. Um, I've I've made like a little mini course actually to kind of help people get going with it. Oh, okay. So it will just go through the the features and um, just just to kind of help those people that are on Pico Six make the move because it's inevitable. You know, we're going to have yeah. to do it um, at some point or later. Yeah, sooner or later. Because, I've got the I've got the same thing. Is yeah. I have a section for my students where we we introduce scopes and we have picos for the for the school so that they can work with them. I I think that it, once somebody instructs you on the function, they're they're very user friendly. Like once you figure mm-hmm. out six, it was very user friendly, and then the students figure it out pretty quickly. But like you were mentioning my presentation and all the stuff I have is off of six. So this year, again, I'm, I'm switching over and going to be doing seven for next year, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a huge tool for technicians. And I think for people learning electricity too, students who are new to this stuff, just to have that visualization, that graph yeah. of what's happening because you can't see electricity, but with the scope, you kind of can, and yeah. it draws a picture for you. And yeah, you got to get it set up and you got to understand the connections and that stuff and the different probes and, and all of that. And that that's the training that you need. But once you do, once you figure some of that stuff out, I think it really gives some clarity or, or just, um, you know, that you got to have that picture in your head of something. Mm. I, I talked about yeah. this with Fonslow, you know, when you're, when you're driving around a a vehicle and you're looking for a front end noise you there's my dog (laughs) um you have an idea of what the front end components are and you know how they are interacting with the suspension going up and down and their wheels Mm. rotating because you know what components are there and so you have a picture in your head as you're listening for a noise and driving it right and that helps you figure out what's wrong but not everybody has that with electricity right not everybody can visualize what's yeah. going on because you can't see it. Um, but it's, I, I think the scope is that window to, to help people out with it. So we, Definitely. we make sure that when the students leave, they at least can, can use one, whether they will or not in the field, yeah. that's up to them or their shop, but at least they, they, they have it at that yeah. point. So do you do like basic electrics with them? Like fundamentals electrics? Is that part of your, uh... it's, it's part of the course. It's not, the course that I teach, they've already oh, okay. done the basic electrical when they get to me. Yeah. Um, and then I do the like computer systems, sensors, inputs, networks, things like that. And that's, right, where, okay, that's yeah. where we introduce the scope because it kind of goes along with that. Yeah. Reason I ask, I, I was playing around in the garage because uh, part of my training offering, I'm, I'm expanding it to include all the, all the fundamentals and things like that. Mm. There's a really good test you can do for voltage drop. So um, I set up a basic circuit and then just basically took one strand of copper wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, with the circuit active, if you get the scope and then and then run it across the wire, you know, on a longer time base, you can see that the voltage drop along a piece of wire. Oh, no kidding. That just helps you, 
you know, understand that actually when the circuit's active, it's not exactly 12 volts here and 12 volts at the component. Mm. You've actually got a very small drop along the wire. So, sure. you know, essentially that's being consumed by the, the whole circuit. However, most of it's being consumed by the component. Sure. That's interesting. So, yeah, it's, it was pretty cool uh, when I got it to work. I had to play around with some settings, though, because we're looking at a very, very small uh, voltage drop. Yeah. 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 I can't remember yeah. what I did now. But, yeah. so, some dem- demonstrations like that can really bring it home for somebody to, to see it. Mm. I do I do one with just a meter. Um, we're talking about, you know, checking a circuit loaded, making sure that it's on, you know, doing voltage drop testing, but that if, if you're checking for voltage on a circuit, when there's no current flowing, you can really get thrown off by the numbers that you get. So I take a jump pack, you know, it's got 12 volts from it. It's basically a battery and I'll take a, just a regular voltmeter, old fashioned voltmeter, which people still use those plenty of the time. And I'll attach the black lead of the meter to the black clamp of the jump pack. And I will take the the red clamp from the jump pack and I'll touch the metal with my left hand. So I'm just making contact with my skin. Yeah. And then I'll touch the end of the red lead of the meter with my right hand. And it'll show 12 volts on the meter through my yeah, body. Yeah, yeah. Even the, And we then we measure the resistance of my body with the ohm meter. And, you know, it's like a million ohms or something like mm. that. And I'm just showing them like, hey, obviously I'm not going to conduct, you know, any yeah. usable current through my body <laughs> from this 12 volt jump pack. Um, but if you were testing things like this in a car, it's going to show you 12 volts. And so that one really helps just to kind of drive it home. Like definitely you don't, you want to check while that current is there, that circuit is complete. There's current going through it. And, uh, having demos like that are definitely powerful. Yeah. The, the basic electrics course is, is, or, you know, your basic electrics knowledge, you don't necessarily have to go on a training course to, to kind of get there. But that's probably one of the most important things to be able to understand before you start going into all the rest of it, you know, like sensors and actuators and canvas and, you know, all this other stuff. Yeah, because if you don't have that, that kind of base understanding and, and kind of get it and be able to visualise it for yourself, um, the rest of it isn't, isn't going to make sense, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. The basics might, but, you know, if you start looking at faults and, you know, uh, resistive short circuits and, and things like this, yeah, you know, you, you're going to be looking at the readings on your scope or your meter and possibly, you know, questioning what, what's happening. <laughs> yeah. And getting to the point of doing stuff like network diagnosis, and I know you've got some videos on CAN bus and network stuff. And if you can set yourself up with the fundamentals of electric, mm. once you get to something that's a little bit more complex, like a network, it's going to become easier to you because you have yeah. those, that, that foundation of the basics. Um, and yeah, I, I've watched a few of your videos on the network stuff and the CAN bus. That's great stuff. And I, I know that's an area where technicians get hung up quite often. Yeah, too. big time. Yeah. So I, I was, did a few of those videos and they, yeah, they did all right. Um, and they, they definitely perform well in, in search. So there's a lot of people asking the questions about the, the canvas diagnostics. And I think the, the last one I did was just like, you know, five, five things to do to help you out with the canvas network faults. And, you know, the, the number one thing for me is always that, you know, the fault code read. So, you know, after I started the channel, I'd get quite a few requests about, canvas faults people are having issues with with faults and you know it'd be like well i've got this fault code stored and you're like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. if you're reading fault codes out of the mm-hmm. network that you think's not okay you know the network's got to be okay right right <laughs> you know there's all these other little things that you can do if you understand how the network operates then you can quickly work out whether it's you know at fault or not sure intermittent yeah. problems are, are kind of a different story but if you you know you say i've got a hard fault on my network you know for most modern cars now it's, it's not going to do anything you know right yeah probably you're not even going to start the engine you know uh-huh. <laughs> so uh yeah can but i think it's just keeping it simple i think for most of it mm-hmm. and i think what i do find is a lot of people are chasing canvas faults that aren't canvas faults Mm-hmm. I've, I've done that myself is yeah. just gone down the rabbit hole of over analyzing the scope yeah. pattern. And I, I've come to find like 
when there's a problem, it's, it stands out very clearly mm. that there's a problem with the network. Um, yeah. and if you, if you think that little, you know, that little bump in the voltage or whatever is your problem, <laughs> it's most likely not. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Overanalyzing. Cause you know, we, we, we tell people about these voltages on, you know, the, the canvas networks, you know, we're like, what is it? 3.6 and 1.4 or 3.5 and 1.5 or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. You, you test it on an, on another car and it might be slightly different. Yeah. You know? um, I think I was looking at uh, one of my cars the other day and, you know, one of the messages, the voltages were slightly different, you know. Uh-huh. But, you know, at the end of the day, is it is it getting that message across? You know, Canvas has been designed to be really robust, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got this other video where I start dialing in short circuit resistance to it, you know, dialing it up. Sure. And, you know. How much does it take before before it kills it? Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. And you can really dial it in before it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're not talking anymore. So. I I did the same, not that that exact thing, but like you were talking about with planting faults, I'll do that for my students sometimes out in the shop. Is let's plant a fault in this network and see if they can work their way through it. And I found with CAN bus stuff, it can take quite a bit of abuse. Like you're saying, like you can <laughs> remove a terminating resistor. It, like basically, you're opening up the circuit on one end. And on certain vehicles, it'll still communicate. You can still talk to things with the scan tool and it doesn't introduce the fault like you think it would. Um, And yeah, you really have to (laughs) go after it if you want to take down the network as far as, you know, shorting it to ground or or whatever you got to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, robust is the word that I've heard used for CAN bus before. And it's very true that it does a surprisingly good job, you know, for as often as we see faults with it, I think it's just because it's such a common system. But yeah. for the most part, it, it, considering the atmosphere that it lives in, in a car going down the road with all the electrical noise, it's it's pretty impressive that it can transfer as much information that it does accurately. Yeah. And, you know, it's got to be robust as well now. You know, there's quite a few safety things mm-hmm. kind of riding on these things. And don't, don't they use it in planes as well? I I guess I'm not sure on that. I know there's a lot of machinery uh, that uses it as well. Mm. Um like farm equipment and things like that. Yeah, it's it's yeah, used yeah. quite a bit outside of the automotive world as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's gotta be, gotta be uh, robust. Uh-huh. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. However, when it does go down, you are, <laughs> yeah. you've had it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, do you, I don't know what brands are over in the UK that you work on. Uh, are, is there general motors vehicles that are common over there? Uh yeah, so General Motors is is pretty big now, yeah. So okay, because they have got, their got some of the European brands. Okay, because they have their CAN bus set up a little bit differently as compared to others, where they where they'll chain the modules together on the network, right? So if, if you okay. have PCM, ABS, and body control, the ABS is kind of in the middle. If you unplug the connector at the ABS you're like opening up the entire network rather than... Okay, so does it like go in ABS and then out ABS? Essentially, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And they'll have that along the whole string of modules. And so anywhere along there, if one gets unplugged, for whatever reason, like a connector's not seated properly, takes down or it basically separates the network into two sections. Whereas, you know, your traditional bus, if you unplug a module, that's just one leg of the CAN bus yeah. and you just you lose that module, but it's just like on a star, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The, and the GM setup, and I don't know, I'm sure there's other manufacturers that use this, but I always have a different mindset when I go into those because of how they have it set up in, in yeah. a da- they call it a daisy chain uh, yes. connection. So, like flex ray. Flex-ray is that how is I haven't done a whole lot with flex ray. Is that how that is yeah. too? Yeah, so FlexRay is it's it's kind of easier though because I don't think you're gonna have more than three, three or four modules on on one kind gotcha. of string. But okay. it does it goes straight through, and you know you could, I think you should be able to you know test the resistance of that wire straight through the modules, and it should be you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, just direct continuity. Yep, same um, same thing with those GM modules. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, Audi have this other thing. I don't know if you've if you've done much work with Audis before. Not a ton here and there. I did a little bit with the 
the most network on one a little while ago. That was interesting. Right, yeah. Well, the, this for Canvas is a game changer. I don't know if they're still doing it because I'd imagine it costs quite a bit of money. However, different parts in the vehicles. I think on the earlier ones when I first started there, they'd have a, a, a like a connector block on the passenger side of the dashboard, mm-hmm. and then a connector block on the driver side. So if you took the end of the dash off, there would be like a little connector block, and if you took it out, it would have like a, you know depending on how many networks it have, there'd be like Sure. Three or four yep. blocks of kind of connector that just connected all the network together. Uh, yeah, I've seen that on some Volkswagens. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Might be on like Phaeton or something like that. Okay. Um, maybe some others. And and then they have this special tool. So then you plug this tool back into the car, uh-huh. and then you put that blanking plug back into the tool because the the blanking plug's coded to the car. And you can literally go through and unplug each node individually. Nice to actually narrow down faults, and it's like sure. wow, that's that's amazing. Rather than going in and cutting, uh-huh. you know, cutting wires, having uh, problems and stuff. But. Chrysler has that set up on their CAN bus stuff. Um, right. I don't know what year they started, but I think it's like fifteen and up, and they call it a star connector. And it's that I don't okay, know that yeah. they have a tool. Maybe they do, but it's easy enough to go to that connector and just basically take legs off of the CAN bus. Yeah. And then eventually, if you know, if you got a short or whatever, it's it's a fantastic place if you want to divide up the circuit to find the yeah. fault of why it's getting taken down. Um, great, great testing location. So yeah, the more, the more vehicles that have stuff like that, it's so easy. You know, the old General Motors stuff had that for their class two networks where they'd have a splice okay. pack. It's just a metal comb and you could go to that comb, unplug it, and then just go down the line and test each leg of the circuit. So, um, oh, yeah. yeah, just knowing that that stuff exists on the car is a game changer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I would never have worked for Audi before, I'd have never have known about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what is possible as well is you can get the connectors mixed up. Oh, okay. So, you know, if you put, I think that was, we used to do that sometimes on like the networks course or something, you know, put the wrong, <laughs> put the wrong one in the wrong side. And okay. Don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I really enjoy that about the training role is actually putting faults on cars. Yeah. You know, okay, well, what what happens if? Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you <laughs> what, sure this out. That, is, that is a powerful <clears throat> learning tool for the person putting the fault in. And I, I mm. figured that out as a teacher is that breaking a car and breaking it in a way that it, it reacts in a specific manner is actually way more difficult than you think. And you really have to understand the system that you're dealing with in order to break it in a specific way. So I've actually introduced that as a project for my students. They actually just went through this past week on one where they get a car, they go through a system and they have to plant a fault that presents a certain symptom. Like you break the car in this way so that it does this afterwards. And it's, it's not easy. It is way more difficult than you think to do that. Um, yeah. and then they have another student group go through it and try to figure out what's wrong. But, um, yeah, that can, you, you learn so much about something just trying to get it to not work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that was a big thing for like the master tech assessments as well. When we're writing these assessments is trying to come up with faults that, you know, are, are harder to find, mm-hmm. you know, where you're not going to get a fault code that's going to lead you straight to it or, you know, got, give you a guided test plan to follow or, you know, trying to find these faults that, you know, are, are not so detectable. So they've mm-hmm. actually got to do some, prove that they can do the test and understand how the system works. But yeah, I, I do enjoy that. And I do that with my own car now, even though I drive it every day <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for the videos, for the YouTube videos, where I'll put faults on that and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure this will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've definitely done some poking and prodding on my own vehicles before we we have a fleet of school cars too that have been donated to the school so those ones obviously get worked on by the students so they get beat up pretty yeah. good but i'll i'll do my own experiments and stuff yeah if, if i if i've got you know a particular vehicle that i'm working on or struggling with and maybe maybe i got a school car that's similar we'll mess around with it a little bit so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> test subjects <laughs> Yeah, it's good fun though. I do, I do enjoy doing all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. very interesting for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, what um, what's your plans for the future with your 
your channel and your website where are you going to take this uh yeah so we've we've got this uh we've got the oscilloscope training on there at the minute um as i mentioned earlier it, i started writing that in november 2019 so it took me nearly a year to actually get it out as a we did like a pilot launch in october just to make sure that you know people were interested in it and it and it you know did quite well um so i've i've got so much more that i can you know kind of offer people you know mm-hmm. who, who are in who, who want it so i'm probably going to start something like a more of a low cost membership okay um, where i can actually create training that people want when they need it oh okay and build it up that way rather than going for kind of a whole full course sure it, it just takes so long and then um yeah just do some custom something. training yeah yeah you know focus on some of those fundamentals We've done some great work with the case studies on, you know, people who have kind of joined uh, Mechanic Mindset. They've sent some case studies in and we've, we've had a look at them. We'll be able to um, kind of make a lesson out of that. Uh, Brandon came on a couple of weeks ago, Brandon Steckler. Oh, yeah. To do some kind of in-cylinder pressure diagnostic stuff. And, and one of the guys that was on the course, he'd sent in a waveform a few weeks before that. Um and then we're like, right, you know, we'll, we'll use that on on the call with Brandon. So, it turned out the guy that sent in the waveform used to work with Brandon. <laughs> oh no, kidding! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So they they were like good friends. So, um, so that was uh, want to do some kind of more more of that kind of thing as well. You know, get get more people together. You know, we've got lots of experts around us, and you know, trying to make everyone a you know as, as accessible as possible, really, and just. Yeah, try and make everyone's life a little bit easier when you're yeah. in the workshop because cars are getting harder to fix. No kidding. <laughs> they're, not, they're not getting any easier, that's for sure. <laughs> no, no, that's it. And, you know, we've, we've got a lot of challenges coming, you know, with uh, electric vehicles, you know, the mm. ADAS things growing, uh, connectivity, you know, online vehicles and, and things like this. It's it's going in, uh, you know, quite a different direction. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think for some of this stuff, you might you might not have a choice, but need the um, manufacturers' factory tools to to kind of talk to it and fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, it's uh, some of these newer vehicles. Uh, you know, that would see the twenty twenties or twenty ones or whatever, and I, I don't see them on a super regular basis. But when I am, I'm looking at the complexity of what's going on on these things, and I'm just imagining. 20 years down the road when these are in all the shops because that's what's yeah. on the road it's going to be it's going to be a really tough transition for certain technicians and certain shops to be able to service these things it just basic yeah. basic stuff is going to be really tough so there's going to have to be a big change somehow or another whether you know it some shops are not going to make it. They're not going to stick around. Um, mm. But that other people that are investing in themselves and their education can be really successful with this. And, you know, it's, it's something where you can, you can right now, but in the future, I think you're going to be able to make a lot of money if you're, you know, you got some Book skills today. and knowledge yeah. ar- around yeah, yeah, this yeah. and be able to fix these complex things. You're going to be sought after and it'd be very successful. So it's, it's worth investing in yourself and, and oh, getting as yeah. much training as you can find that, that small amount, you know, paying for a course or subscription or whatever it pays you back yeah. so much if you can apply it in the real world. Yeah. And then even just invest in your, your time, you know, there's there's a lot of things that you can find out on, on the uh, internet. The only thing you've got to be careful of is it's not all as accurate <laughs> as we'd like it to be. Yeah, you got to <laughs> sift through some stuff, especially yeah. YouTube can be that way for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, and it's, yeah, in, invest in yourself. That's, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, investing in myself in different ways, you know, I'm you know, far from knowing it all, you know, still learn something every day. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you've got to do really. And, you know, if you don't, you know, search for something, you know, find it out. Yeah. The more you learn, the more you realize that you don't know. So at least that's how I feel. (laughs) It's almost like I gain, I gain more knowledge, but I feel dumber every day. So (laughs) yeah. And I actually, uh, cause I'm, of course I, I finish, um, my full-time job 
this month and we're going kind of full-time freelancing it's still it's delivering technical training and it will give me time more time with mechanic mindset okay i uh, surveyed uh, my students in the uk just asking what they thought about the, a face-to-face training offering from me and really just getting some comments some you know verbatim feedback of, of what they thought about technical training and and some of the things that might put them off and it's interesting to that a couple of people had put that, you know, they, they were put off by coming on a training course because of, you know, embarrassment or, you know, asking the wrong questions or feeling like they don't know enough already. And um, that's, um, I suppose it, it might say a lot about the courses that they've been on before, but I think it's important to, you know, remember there's, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Well, it, there is, it's the one that doesn't get asked. Yes, you know? yes, so, exactly. Um, so, you know, you've, you've got to ask those questions because nine times out of 10, you know, when that trainer stands at the front of the room going, okay, yeah, does everyone understand? And, you know, you look around and everyone's nodding and you're just, yeah, nodding along. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's something that you don't understand, you can guarantee that, you know, there's a handful of people in that room that don't understand either. Yep. Or, or even all of them. You know, yep. just take that brave one to go, uh, well, what did you mean by that? And then everyone goes, yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he asked that. Oh, yeah. boy. Yep. Oh, that's uh, 100%. I felt that way as a student in class. And I I know 100% that's how it is with my students in class. Um, I, I just talked about this with somebody on a few episodes ago, but I'll, I'll have everybody at the end of a presentation or an explanation, jot down a question on a piece of paper with no name on it, just your question. Everybody pass them to the front and I just read the questions and I answer them. This is after I've explained this stuff and yeah. always, every single time I'll get multiple of the same question. But if I were to just ask everybody, does anyone have any questions? Yeah. And just sit back and there's nothing. <laughs> If you're working with the, the the younger guys and that, you know, ask them to write it on, screw it up, and then throw it. To the front, you know, <laughs> yeah, there you go. go. That's a good idea. <laughs> and then as well, you don't know who it came from as well, so it's like <laughs> anonymous. <laughs> sure, sure. We've kind of done that for like reviews, and you know, if we've got a, a, a course that spans a few days, okay, we'll have a review the next day. Okay, write it on the paper, and you know, throw it. But we do it more of as okay, well, who who can answer it or. Putting people on the spot a little bit. So, right, we'll pick one up then. <laughs> what mm-hmm, have you got? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was more of, okay, can we remember what we did yesterday? So, um, yeah, right. that, was, uh, that was interesting. But, you know, there were their own questions. So it wasn't it wasn't um, the trainers coming out with the, you know, the, the difficult ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but that then also helps you as a trainer, you know, okay, oh, yeah. this is what they remembered. Mm-hmm. Why did they remember that? Or this is what they didn't understand. I need to find a yeah. better or different way to explain this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and 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 that's what I do love as well. You know, the the kind of process of learning and and the different ways we learn and and how we get people engaged and you know how how you can you know sit through a, a two hour movie and give it your undivided attention and remember that stuff for months or years to come. But, you know, you go on a training course and a few months later, it's, what course was it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's, so that's a great example. Yeah. That you could mm. sit through something like that. And yeah, like you say, you're completely engrossed and focused on that mm. and it affects you. But yeah, you got, you know, 10, 15 minutes into a, a lecture of some sort and you're falling asleep and that I think in a lot of cases, not everyone, but a lot of cases, that is on the instructor or the trainer. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. It to is, yeah. to engage properly, and that there's a lot of methods to do that. But I've found more and more just me up there talking about something, explaining something is is exactly what's putting them to sleep. Uh, yeah. Not not everybody, but certain students, and you have to do other methods of engagement to get them yeah. to get them, you know focused and yeah. <laughs> watching that you can't movie take it personally you know because oh no let's be honest you know i've been in a lot of meetings and a lot of presentations and stuff like that and then when they just go on like that you you lose focus you know we don't stay engaged for that long you know that's that's why mm-hmm. they they make these movies the way they do and tv programs and things like that to keep your attention you know you notice there's always something moving or mm. you know it won't stay on the same thing for, for very long because it's like oh What's happening now? And okay, you know, it just okay. keeps you locked on the TV, you know. So I think we need to be a bit more like that. And um, yeah, 
Yeah. I need to construct my courses like a Netflix program. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Serious. Put some thought to that. <laughs> <laughs> but this, this is what it challenges us to do then, doesn't it? Yeah. As definitely. trainers, it's okay. Well, how, how can we keep them engaged? You know, mm-hmm. what can we do to make it a bit more kind of interesting? And then, you know, they'll remember it and that's our job done then, you know? So. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to put some thought towards that. I, I've, I've never really uh, looked at it that way. Um, but I, I think there's something you could definitely take from that as a, as a teacher for sure. So yeah. cool. Um, well, I appreciate you spending your time with me, uh, today. This was, uh, it's good to meet you first time. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, one more time before we go though, make sure to list your YouTube channel and your website. I'll put it in the show notes, but just for everybody listening. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So yeah, for Mechanic Mindset on YouTube and then the website is mechanicmindset.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, Darren. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure joining you. Great, great talking. Okay, that's going to do it for today's episode. I want to give one more big thank you to Darren for spending his time with me today. Uh, it was really great getting to chat with him and hear from someone uh, on the other side of the planet. That's pretty cool. Um, make sure to check out the show notes and check out Mechanic Mindset um, and check out all the training that he has available. But I'd uh, also like to thank everybody for listening. Really appreciate it. Uh, make sure to reach out if you have any comments or suggestions or questions, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. But with that all out of the way, Let's all get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.